chapter 2. Esther chapter 2. A few weeks ago, we started a, a, a series on the book of Esther. And <clears throat> uh, I told you a couple weeks ago that Esther is only one of two books in the Bible that the name of God is not mentioned. Uh, it is a, a different kind of a book. It's got, it's got a, it contains a very interesting story. Uh, those of you that are familiar with the, the book of Esther, uh, it is the kind of story that we can get so consumed with the story that we forget the purpose of the story. Does that make sense? Uh, and <clears throat> so I want to start off this morning by reminding us that the reason I believe God directed me to to start this, this, this little series on the book of Esther is because of our theme this year. Our theme this year is anchored in Christ, but anchored in His provision, His promises, His plan, and His peace. And I believe that the book of Esther contains all four of those concepts. But we can get, again, we can get so consumed with the story, we forget the purpose God gave us the book of Esther. <clears throat> And I believe that the message that the book of Esther contains for each and every one of us is that God is alive and well despite us. Amen. He is alive and well despite us. And, and <clears throat> it is, the, the, the book of Esther is about the sovereignty of God. Plain and simple. That's that's what it's about. It is not about Mordecai, Esther, the the uh, Xerxes, the king. Um, it is not about any of the characters in the story. It is about the sovereignty of God. So w as we look at this book, we have to keep that in the back of our minds the entire time you're reading the book of Esther. I want to talk about the sovereignty of God for just a few moments this morning because it, it's key, I believe, to setting the, the course for the rest of the sermon this morning. I believe the sovereignty of God is very well explained in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 24. The Bible says, and it came, oh, excuse me, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And you think, wait a minute, what has what that got to... Well, the, the, the sovereignty of God has everything to do of God working in the affairs of men. Now, now kind of wrap your head around that because it's important. Another passage that I think helps us get our, our, our minds in the right perspective, we see in the book of Joshua. Uh, chapter 2 and verses 9 and following it says and she said unto the men I know that the Lord hath given you the land that <clears throat> and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water uh, of the Red Sea for you uh, when they came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites uh, that were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, uh, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as they had heard these things, 
our hearts did melt, neither did uh, there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God. The, he is God in heaven above, and uh, in earth beneath. So what had happened here in the book of Joshua is God had gone before the children of Israel ever got to the to the Jordan River, and God had allowed the stories of what God had done in the past to infiltrate the hearts of the people. And, it, and, and the people melted at the very thought of the children of Israel. That's God working in the affairs of men. That is the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> Shortly after my wife and I moved to Bible college, <clears throat> most of you that know, I know that before I went to Bible college, I owned my own construction company. And make a long story short, um, uh, shortly after we moved up to North Carolina from South Carolina, uh, we got a phone call from my one of my wife's cousins, and my she says, "Hey, I need I need you to come do some work on my house." And I said, "I ain't coming all the way down there to to do. I can't. I, I'm I've got a job here. I've got to go to school. All of these things." And she says, "Well, do you know anybody that could come and help me?" And I said, "Sure." So I gave her the, the name of a, of a friend of mine who also was a contractor. And we had gone to church. We, we went to church together. Uh, so I trusted him. And um, <clears throat> anyway, he went and did the work. And, and my wife and I totally forgot about the whole incident. About three months later, we got a bill in the mail from a... I, you know, whenever you move out of state, sometimes bills kind of catch up with you later. And uh, we get this random bill for, for I, I don't remember what it was for. It, it, it could have been a gas company or an electric bill. I don't remember, but it was one of those bills that kind of, oh, boy. Well, <laughs> we looked at each other and said, uh, we, we don't have the money to pay it. So as a family, we started praying that God would provide the money to pay this bill. The day that we needed to write the check and mail it to the company to get it there before it was late, that very day, I think it was Ashley, went down to check the mail, and there was a check in the mail for the exact amount of the bill that we had to pay. God working in the affairs of men. And what had happened was my my contractor friend who did the work for my wife's cousin, he felt guilty about keeping the profit from the job. So he did the work, he subtracted the material out of the out of the out of the job, and the money that was left over, the profit he wrote a check and he mailed it to us the and we got it the very day we needed it the exact amount that we needed. That is the sovereignty of God. See, that's how God works in our lives. And often we do not realize how God works in our lives. And I believe that is why we have the book of Esther. Not to focus on the characters in the story, but to, but to grab hold of this story and understand that God is alive and well in the affairs of men. Yes. 
putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, hindsight is a wonderful thing to be able to look back and say, wow, look how God did all of this. But when you're going through all of this, is it fun? No. Not always. <laughs> when we opened up that bill and saw that we owed that, the, I forget, like the power company, whatever. Uh, uh, okay, good luck. <laughs> but see, God had it all taken care of. All we had to do was stay in the will of God. God used that incident in my life and our lives many, many times since then to remind us that he's in control and that he's got everything under control. Even though it doesn't always feel that way. The title of my sermon this morning is Watching God Work. Watching God Work. When we are in the will of God, we can rest in the knowledge that he is in control. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we uh, know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have a petition uh, that uh, uh, we desire of him. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. <clears throat> and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now, the problem with this verse is that oftentimes we will quote this verse, but we leave out one very important word. Anybody know what that word is? Believing. Believing. Well, but pastor, the Bible says that I can ask anything and, and I, I will receive. Well, no, that's not what it says. How many times have you prayed to God and said, God, uh, I, I need you to take this burden away from me. And you, and you continue to hold on to the burden. And when God tries to take it away, you fight him for it. That's not believing. How many times have you, have you prayed, God, uh, hey, will you pay this bill for me? I, I cannot pay this bill. Now, I don't think you will, but will you? I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that. Well, I prayed, but he's not going to answer it. Well, okay, I can promise you right now he won't because you don't believe he will. The sovereignty... Excuse me, the sovereignty of God. See, the key to this right here, the rest is connected to the will of God in our lives. When we are right with Him, we can find rest. Uh, Esther chapter 2, we're just going to read one verse this morning, to start off with anyway. Uh, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women, the women's house to know how Esther did and what should come of her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would help us, dear God, to get a wonderful picture of the sovereignty that you provide for each and every one of us. 
And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I ask again that you would speak to our hearts and that you would confirm in a very mighty and very precious way how much you love each and every one of us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I believe that verse 11 is a snapshot into the heart of Mordecai. In fact, the very first point this morning is uh, Mordecai's heart revealed. I believe that verse 11 reveals or gives us a snapshot, if you would, to the heart of Mordecai. What is, what a, what is Mordecai doing every single day? Okay, now let's kind of go back a couple weeks to where we were talking about Esther and going, uh, being a part of all of this. Uh, does anybody remember how long Esther has to go through this purifying process a year okay every day for a year what did mordecai do he he checked on her he fretted over her he worried about her okay is she going to make it is she not going to make it and 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 mordecai here we we see in uh, uh, into his heart how he is fretting and worrying his his impatience his restlessness his his probably second guessing a lot of his decisions and we see him going every day for a year wondering fretting worried about something that he did and we see that 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 <clears throat> he has totally not confident in his choices. Is that how we are supposed to live our lives? Absolutely not. In total contrast, we have a verse in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that <clears throat> tells us how we're supposed to live our lives. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. See, God's desire for your life and my life is to have perfect, contentful peace. And, and, and that does not mean that you will live a life without problems. Because I'm telling you, life is full of problems. But you can navigate troubled water in perfect peace and contentment if your mind is stayed on Him. See, it's obvious to me anyway that Mordecai's mind was not focused on God. In fact, two weeks ago, we compared the life of Mordecai and the life of Daniel. Their, their lives um, uh, paralleled very common a lot of things. They were both exiled from, from uh, Israel uh, <clears throat> during the captivity of Babylon. But individually, they were two very different people. Mordecai fretted and worried. But what about Daniel? Daniel, again, hopefully you're familiar with the story, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he was going to live for God. And there, there came a point in his life where he knew that if he were to do a certain thing, that it would mean death for him, possibly. But yet he did it anyway. Let me read you the story. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, the king had signed it, or well, he, he didn't sign it, but he sealed a decree saying that if anybody uh, prayed or bowed down to any other god but to him, then uh, they would be thrown in a den of lions. 
And knowing that it had been sealed, Daniel continued to pray to God. And Daniel chapter 6, verse 16 and following says that then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou uh, servest continually, and I love I loved Daniel's testimony. Even the king knew that Daniel was a faithful believer in God. He will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of, of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamenting voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, un, uh, said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of, of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angels and hath shut up shut the mouth uh, shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me, for as <clears throat> much as uh, before him uh, uh, inno uh, innocency uh, <clears throat> excuse me incontency uh, was found in me, and also before thee, O King, have I done no hurt. Daniel went to the den of lions in perfect peace and contentment because he knew he was right with God. Who did the fretting here? Who did the worrying? The king did. Why? Because the king didn't know God yet. If you continue reading, he becomes, he, he gets to the point where God, he be, God becomes real and he, and he, and he accepts, well, we would say he gets saved in, in a sense, but he, he becomes uh, 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 acquainted with God later on. <clears throat> but the point here is this. Daniel didn't fret. I imagine uh, this, is the, this is the picture that I have. Daniel went down into the den of lions very comfortably. He probably just went, hey, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> but the king was the one who lost sleep. Now I'm here to tell you this. If you're fretting and worried about life this morning, you need to check your relationship with God. Mordecai was a man who fretted over his choices. Mordecai was a man who struggled with that contentment, that peace. Had he been right with God, he would not have every day had to go to the court and find out, how's Esther doing today? How is she doing? He wouldn't have had to do that. And if you're living a life that is full of fret and worry, you need to check your relationship with God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a prerequisite in this verse here for the rest that God can give us. That prerequisite is that we need to come. We need to come. God says the rest is available. 
All you have to do is come. Daniel rested. Mordecai fretted. Point number two. Let's look at Esther's heart. Mordecai's heart revealed. Let's look at Esther's heart for a minute. Let's look at verse 13 of our passage here. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever uh, she desireth uh, was given her to go with her out of the house of of the women unto that uh, unto the king's house. In other words, basically, when every maid was brought before the king for basically review, she was allowed to dress in any garment that was available to her. She could wear all the jewelry she wanted. She could wear uh, the perfume. She could do anything that was available to to them they could choose to wear. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Verse 15, now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of uh, Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, had taken her from, uh, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go uh, in, nothing, excuse me, I'm having trouble reading this morning. Uh, Let's let's start over. Uh, Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihar, Abihel, uh, the uncle of Mordecai, was, uh, uh, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in uh, unto the king. She required nothing but, the, uh, but uh, what uh, Hagel, the king's chamberlain, uh, the keeper of the women, appointed, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto the king Ahasuerus uh, into his house royal in the tenth month, which was which is the month of uh, Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashdai. Now, let's look at the heart of Esther here for a minute. I think it's interesting that anything that she could use externally to make herself beautiful was was available to her. Yet, she chose nothing. I want to say this, and, and please understand my heart when I say this. Our world puts way too much emphasis on the outside. I I, I remember not too long ago uh, hearing of a teenage uh, young lady who was so consumed with putting on makeup to make herself beautiful. And my first thought was, why? She's, she, you know, she's so pretty to begin with. Why, why would you need all that stuff? See, the world has taught our young people that it's all about what other people see. And I, I want to kind of debunk that for a little bit because it's so important that we understand that true beauty comes from the inside. In fact... What was the very thing that attracted 
uh, Ahasuerus or Xerxes, the king, to Esther? Was it what she had on the outside? No, because she, she, she chose nothing. But yet he found favor in Esther. See, <clears throat> it was not what she had on. It was, not, it was not what the king saw on her that attracted him to her, but it was what the king saw in her. And I'm here to tell you, especially you young ladies, concentrate on what's on the inside. And again, I believe this is a snapshot into the heart of Esther because she realized, and we don't know why, we don't, we don't know the context of all of this, but we do know that Esther realized what is on the inside is more important than what is on the outside. And I want to re reiterate something that I talked about two weeks ago. This was not a beauty contest. He, 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 had, he had a harem of probably over a thousand women. And I have a hard time believing that they were all ugly. I'm just saying. Chances are there wasn't an ugly one in the bunch. So if it was a matter that she was prettier than all the women that, that were available, yeah, I don't think so. But he saw something in her that was different than all the rest. And that was the thing that attracted her. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, and I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. What's, it, what's, what's Jeremiah talking about here? God looks on the heart. But there's a problem. We do the same thing with God. We put, on, we put on the pharisaical clothing and we come to church and we go through this and we, we, we put on all of this stuff to impress God who's not impressed with any of it. What, is, what impresses God the most? How you look on the outside or what He sees on the inside? What He sees on the inside. What an incredible picture God has given us here of how God views each and every one of us in the affairs of men. <clears throat> Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, and Jesus answered him, <clears throat> the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the, uh, and with all thy strength, this is <clears throat> the first commandment. What is God after in your life? He's after your heart. First and foremost, the very most important thing to God in your life is your heart. Number three, very quickly, I want to look at Xerxes' heart. Verse 17, And the king loved Esther above all women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashtai. Again, I believe God gives us a look into the heart of Xerxes, the king. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Now, let, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> if I went to my wife, Melanie, who I have been married to for uh, a little over 37 years, and on our 38th anniversary, I said, you know what, sweetie? Out of all the women that I've ever met, I love you the most. <laughs> <laughs> If I lived through it, what do you think would happen? Oh, she'd slap me big time. Okay. What does Xerxes say to Esther? Hey, out of all the virgins I've seen, you got it. That, I'm telling you here right now, is not love. That is infatuation. This king was unable to love. And I can tell you why he was unable to love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. The word love there is the word agape. Unconditional love. For agape love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. In other words, it is impossible for an unsaved person to understand and to demonstrate agape love. They have to know God because agape love comes from God. This unconditional love that <clears throat> we are talking about here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 can only come from God. And Xerxes, by this time, uh, Xerxes was an, an old, disappointed, discouraged man. If you, uh, you know, again, we'd have to go back and re-preach the first two sermons. But the fact is, he was old, discouraged, and disappointed because he was unable to conquer the Greeks. What was he looking for? He was looking for fleshly love. He was just looking for somebody to make him happy. Point number four. <clears throat> I believe we also get a glimpse in verses 21 to 23 of God's heart. God's heart revealed. Verse 21, let's read. And in those days, while Mordecai sat uh, sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlain, uh, Bignath and uh, Tigrash, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus, <clears throat> and the and the thing which uh, the king was excuse me and the thing was known unto Mordecai who told it to Esther the queen and Esther certified uh, the king thereof in Mordecai's name and when in- inquisition uh, was made uh, of the matter it was found out therefore they were both hanged on a tree and it was written in the book of the chronicle before the king. Now, Mordecai just happened to hear of the plot of these two men to kill the king. So what does Mordecai do? Mordecai immediately goes and tells Queen Esther. Queen Esther then immediately goes and tells the king, says, hey, my uncle Mordecai heard this. An investigation takes place. They were found out to be true, and they hung the two men. Wow, what a coincidence. No comments? 
I'm here to tell you, number one, I don't believe in coincidence. So it was not a coincidence. It was the sovereignty of God. Now, if you will come back in future weeks, uh, you will find out that this this story is going to play out in the future. But God uses Mordecai in a very unique situation here to set the stage for something future, the sovereignty of God. Now, did Mordecai go back to his room and sit there and think, wow, I was able to help save the king and and, and God is going to use this in the future. Was Mordecai able to do that? No, he had no idea what God was going to do in the future. In fact, chances are really, really good. Mordecai went home and sobbed, probably copped a little bit of an attitude thinking, why do I not get any recognition for this? Uh, somebody should be giving me a medal. Somebody should be patting me on the back. The king should be calling me into his office and saying, good job, Mordecai. But nothing happens. And Mordecai more than likely coughs a little bit of an attitude here. We don't know, we're not told, but that's kind of how I read into the story. Going back to the story I told at the beginning. I had, my wife and I had no idea that we would be receiving the money from my contractor friend. Had no idea. In fact, we had no idea that the bill would be coming. But I'm here to tell you, God knew. And God knows in the story of Esther, He knows what's coming down the pike. And He is using people. He's working in the affairs of men. He's putting people in places. He's putting the puzzle together, if you would, to be able to play out later. And so often we get so consumed with the here and now, we forget that God is in control. There is nothing happens in our lives that God doesn't know about. God does not wake up in the morning. In fact, he doesn't wake up. But anyway, he doesn't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, Rick, you did it again. He doesn't do that. Nothing takes God by surprise. It takes us by surprise, but nothing takes God by surprise. And here God is revealing, I believe, His heart to mankind. He is, he is, <clears throat> he is revealing His heart to mankind in this story of Mordecai and Esther. Was Mordecai right with God? No. Was Esther right with God? But God was still active in their lives. God was still going to use them. God's love for them is on clear display in this story. And I'm here to tell you, God's love for you is on clear display at the cross of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a kid, Mother's Day was coming up. And I, you know, most kids, I didn't have any money. Well, I only had a few cents. And this lady down the street was having this yard sale. And and you guys may remember these little figurines, but these little plastic figurines, 
it had a picture of this little little guy with his arms stretched like this. And the caption on the bottom said, I love you this much. And I remember buying that for my mom and taking it home. Now, the only problem was the lady I bought it from had a dog, and the dog had chewed off one of the hands. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> but I wanted to demonstrate to my mom how much I loved her. I loved my mom that much. Well, I'm here to tell you that's how much Jesus Christ loves you. So often, we get so consumed with this story, we forget that God is saying, Mordecai and Esther, I love you this much. Unconditional love. And I believe with all my heart that the heart of God is on display in these three verses. God is setting the stage for something very great and very powerful and something something that as we re, as we continue to study the story we're going to go wow only god could do that exactly that's the whole point of the book see the point of the book isn't esther and isn't mordecai it is about the sovereignty of god romans chapter 5 verse 8 but god commendeth his love toward us and that while we we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Let me tell you something. Just as we can get consumed with the story of Esther, and we can get so wrapped up in the story thinking, wow, that is such a cool story. They should make a movie out of this story. Which I think they should, but anyway. I'm here to tell you. The book tells us the same thing. We can get so consumed with the stories in the Bible that we forget the, the purpose of this book. This purpose of this book is to demonstrate God's love to mankind. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's this book. Recently, I had somebody say to me, Pastor, I can't figure out why God loves me so much because I make so many mistakes. I was able to look at him and say, Welcome to the human race. Welcome. You could be sitting here this morning saying, Wait a minute, Pastor, you don't understand. You, you don't know who I am. You know, and, and the truth is, I may not know every bad thing you've done, but I do know this, that Jesus Christ died for your sin because He loves you. And God is alive and well in the affairs of men. And the story of Esther and Mordecai and, and, and Ahasuerus or Xerxes and, and, and we'll, we'll see later a guy named Haman who's the, who's the villain and all of these, these people all of these things play together in the sovereignty of God and I'm here to tell you God loves you just like he loves them and he is alive and well in your life and he wants to work and he wants to be a part of your life Psalm Chapter 103, verses 11 and 12. 
For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now, I've talked about this before. I'll say this very quickly and I'll be done. If you were to travel north straight, you would hit what? The North Pole. But if you kept going, what would you do? You'd start going south, right? Until you hit the South Pole, and then you'd start going north again. But if you go east, do you ever reach an East Pole? No. If you go east, you just keep going and going and going. Or west. This is a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ saying, I love you this much. Unconditional love. And we see it being played out in this story of, of, of Esther. Again, the message in the book of Esther is that God is alive and well despite us. Think about that. There's not one of us that's worthy. Not one of us. And we can sit here and look at this story and we can say, well, uh, Esther and Mordecai, neither one of them were right with God. Well, let me ask you, are you right with God? Do you struggle staying right with God? If you're honest, you'll say yes. But God loves you this much. He's active and he's alive and well despite us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.